In the Gospel of John, we hear the story of Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman at a well. Most sermons focus on the foreignness of the Samaritan woman. Her identity as a Samaritan is contrasted with Jesus' identity as a Judean. This then leads the preacher to speak about the inclusive nature of the Gospel. However, this scene is a type scene, one that goes back to Genesis. So, if it's a type scene, we must ask, what is the hearer supposed to recognize about this scene? Well, the answer is that we're supposed to recognize that two future spouses are meeting. This is their introduction to each other, an introduction that will eventually lead to wedding bells. Now, this story about Jesus and the Samaritan woman just got interesting. If this scene is really an encounter with a future spouse, what then is John trying to say in his Gospel? What's his point? The bottom line, when two folks at a well meet, there just might be wedding bells about to ring. You're listening to The Way with Father Dustin Lyon, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network. Welcome to The Way Podcast. I'm your host, Father Dustin. As I'm sure you've noticed, I've been away from my microphone for a few weeks. October was an extremely busy month for me, and I simply wasn't able to record any podcasts. However, I hope to get back to a normal schedule again. And so, we continue our series about type scenes in the Bible. These are scenes that are told in a particular way, or have a particular setting so that the hearer might recognize the scene right away. In other words, the authors intended that the hearers would have some sort of preconceived idea in their mind when they heard a particular story or setting. We've already looked at two of them. This week, I want to look at a very common one, one that goes all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis. This is the encounter of a future spouse at a well. As I mentioned in the introduction, this type scene appears in the New Testament, when Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman. But to understand the significance of this setting, we first must go back to the original and see how that one plays out. This is how Isaac was married to Rebekah. It comes from Genesis 24. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his house, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I live." but will go to my country and to my kindred and get a wife for my son Isaac. Now the servant obeys Abraham, and he takes off for Abraham's homeland. The story continues. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all kinds of choice gifts from his master, and he set out and went to Aram Naharem, to the city of Nahor, 
He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water. It was toward evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. I am standing here by the spring of water, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. Let the girl to whom I shall say, Please offer your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant, Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, there was Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Melchah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, coming out with her water jar on her shoulder. The girl was very fair to look upon, a virgin whom no man had known. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, let me sip a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said and quickly lowered her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, son of Melchah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of straw and fodder and a place to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the way to the house of my master's kin. Then the girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out to the man, to the spring, As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, and when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and there he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside when I prepared the house and a place for the camels? So the man came into the house, and Laban unloaded the camels and gave him straw and fodder for the camels and water to wash his feet, and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told my errand. And he said, Speak on. And so he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become wealthy. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female slaves, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and he has given him all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but you shall go to my father's house, to my kindred, 
and get a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and make your way successful. You shall get a wife for my son, for my kindred, for my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath. When you come to my kindred, even if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you will only make successful the way I am going, I am standing here by the spring of water. Let the young woman who comes out to draw, to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebekah coming out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew. I said to her, Please, let me drink. And she quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will also water your camels. So I drank, and she also watered the camels. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Malchah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to obtain the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you will deal loyally and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, so that I may return either to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered, The thing comes from the Lord, and we cannot speak to you anything bad or good. Look, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. I know that was a long passage, but I wanted you to hear how the whole scene played out. It's typical that the first time we encounter a particular type scene, it's much longer and more detailed than the ones that follow. It's assumed, of course, that when that particular type scene pops up again, you'll be familiar with the original. Therefore, the author only needs to hint at particular details, and you can fill in the rest. At any rate, there are a few key points that I want you to notice. 1. The future bridegroom, or in this case the servant, journeys to a foreign land, though it is interesting to note that while it's foreign to Isaac, it's Abraham's homeland, and it's where his extended family lives. Number two, that he meets a girl at a well. This is important. Number three, someone, the man or the maiden, draws water from the well. Number four, the maiden rushes home to bring news of the stranger to her family. And finally, number five, a betrothal is arranged, usually after the prospective groom has been invited to a betrothal meal. So those are the five parts that are standard for this particular type scene. This is the standard formula. In fact, it plays out just a few chapters later, again in chapter 29 of Genesis, when Jacob, Isaac's son, flees the promised land for fear that Esau will kill him. You may remember that he had tricked his father into getting Esau's blessing. Though Jacob wasn't looking specifically for a spouse, 
he ends up meeting Rachel at the well. After initiating a conversation with some of the shepherds there, he realizes that he is in his grandfather's homeland and that his uncle is well known there. As he speaks, his cousin Rachel comes into the scene to water her father's sheep. It seems to be love at first sight, and the rest of the story plays out according to the standard formula. Jacob rolls a stone away and waters the flock. Rachel runs home to announce the arrival of a stranger. And then, eventually, Jacob is betrothed to Rachel. However, we know there's a slight catch. Just as Jacob tricked his father Isaac into thinking that he was Esau, Jacob is now tricked and ends up marrying Rachel's sister Leah, though in the end he also marries Rachel. But this isn't the only time two spouses meet at a well. You may also recall that Moses meets his wife Zipporah at a well when she comes with her sisters to water her father's flock. That's Exodus 2, verses 15 through 22. So the question now becomes, why a well? What's going on here? Well, in the ancient Near East, it was women who typically had the responsibility of gathering water for their family and the flock. And it was not uncommon that the flock lived with the family, even taking shelter in the house. This often worked well in the winter. The, the heat from the flock would keep the family warm. So collecting water was a daily chore, an important one since there was no plumbing or running water at this time. The women would bring some sort of vessel or amphora and lower it into the well to collect the water. They would then carry it home on their hip, head, or shoulder. You've probably seen photos of this in National Geographic. It's also important to note that this activity was probably the responsibility of the younger women in the household. After all, the older women probably didn't have the strength to carry a heavy jar of water back to the family home. And, as you can imagine, it probably didn't take long for the young men to figure out that there was a place where all the young women gathered every day. In other words, this was the tinder of the day, how people met. So in some respects, we may not be able to read too much theologically, that is, into the scene and instead simply understand that this was where young women and men could gather in public, away from their father's and mother's eyes. However, we also have to note that water does serve an important role in a desert society. The well becomes an oasis where people have to set aside their differences in order to gather something that's essential for life. If they weren't able to do this, then there would be fights or even war break out over the territory. And that's a costly endeavor. In other words, the well becomes a sort of oasis in the desert, a place that sustains life, a place where different peoples can gather in peace. So there seems to be a connection between water, the stuff of life, and marriage, the sacrament through which two people become one and bear new life, that is, have a baby. So both water and marriage becomes an image of life. Now, with all that in mind, let's turn to the story of Jesus, who encounters a Samaritan woman 
at a well. This comes from John chapter 4. So Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sikar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Judean, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Judeans do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to her, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Judeans. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, What do you want, or why are you speaking to her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Did you notice some of the common themes we saw earlier? First, Jesus is in a foreign land, Samaria. It's also interesting to note, in the Genesis passages, Abraham's servant and then Jacob were returning to the fatherland. We can think of Samaria in a way as an ancient part of Israel. Perhaps Jesus as a Judean in this passage is returning to an ancient part of Israel that has since been lost or forgotten, to the extent that Samaritans were now seen as foreigners, though they are really distant cousins of the Judeans. Secondly, Jesus meets a girl at a well, in this case the Samaritan woman. Third, 
Though no one actually draws water from the well, Jesus does ask for a drink, and then later the woman asks for living water. Fourthly, the maiden, this is the Samaritan woman, rushes home to bring news of the stranger. In this story, we later learn that many people in Samaria come to believe in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. And finally, the last part of this type scene is the betrothal meal, when the couple becomes engaged. This really isn't a part of this particular story, though as soon as the woman runs off to tell people about Jesus, the disciples do return with food. This then starts the conversation about what food really means, and Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to complete his work. Do you not say, four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you, and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages, and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. But what does it mean that this conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman takes place as a type scene, one in which two spouses meet? Well, I think there's a few observations that can be teased out. The first is about faith or trust. Trust in the Old Testament is usually symbolized by marriage. When the Israelites were unfaithful to God, the prophet said that they had committed adultery as if God and Israel were wedded. In this passage, there's a discussion about this woman's husbands. It's clear, if she's had several of them, there's an aspect of unfaithfulness happening here. As a foreigner, the view would have been that Samaritans had been unfaithful. They had committed adultery and had not remained married, if you will, to the true God. This seems to be supported by the fact that she has had five husbands. Five is usually a symbolic number that references the five books of Moses. In other words, what the text seems to be saying is that she hasn't been faithful to God because she hasn't been faithful to the law of Moses. Or, the Samaritans haven't been faithful to the law of Moses. Next, we have the conversations about water. You will recall that I mentioned water as a source of life and marriage is a way of perpetuating that life. Now, the conversation about water takes on spiritual dimensions. The water Jesus talks about isn't just water that quenches physical thirst, but water that gives eternal life. That water, of course, is Christ, the incarnate Word of God. And being in Christ brings peace by making everyone a brother and sister in Christ. It seems as a whole the passage is a call for the Samaritan woman, or should we say all Samaritans, or even all foreigners, to return to the true God, to be wedded to him and follow his instruction unto life. If being married is about fidelity, then this is a call to all nations to become faithful to God. It's a call for a Gentile church, if you will, to recognize in Jesus Christ her bridegroom. In other words, the scene of Jesus at the well is a call for us to walk the way. And that, brothers and sisters, is what we're all called to do, to become wedded to God and walk 
the way. Until next week, God bless. <laughs>